Good morning, church. It's good to see you. I know I can't see you. I know you can only see me. I'm just looking at a little tiny camera lens right now, but I miss you so much. It's, it's just good to open the Word with you again. I um, want you to know I've been praying for you individually as families and uh, praying for your health first and foremost. I've been praying for your finances because I know a lot of you are really starting to feel a strain or a fear of what could be in the future. I'm also praying for your growth in a season like this. Praying for your growth personally, because a, a crucible like a, like a pandemic or you being shut into your house is going to be different for you. And it's unlikely that you're going to leave a season like this the way that you entered it. So I'm praying that you grow closer to trusting Christ in this moment, that your intimacy with God develops in this moment. But I'm also praying for your growth relationally, right? Because I know that's being strained in two different directions. Um, if you're not used to being home all the time, and now the sudden you're, you're in the house and your kids are bouncing off the walls like a bunch of baboons, and you just want some quiet time and you don't know what to do, and you're kind of feeling that pressure, or some of you are feeling a secondary pressure of not getting to hang out with the friends that you love so much. That's because you've done a good job building rhythms where you can live tightly and in tight proximity with others. And I know all of that's jeopardized. And so I'm praying for your growth, relationally, personally. And I just want you to know that as a group of leaders, we are working very hard to quickly adjust in a season in such a way that we could serve you a little bit better. I'll talk a little bit more about that later and in other videos. We've got a lot of great ideas on that. But I want you to know how proud I am of you as a pastor and how proud I am to be a pastor of this church. Um, the phone calls and the meetings that I've had with some of you, the things that I'm hearing, just how you're navigating this, um, how you're landing on your feet, how you're trusting in God, just makes me proud. I'm super proud to be your pastor, especially in a time like this. Because hear me, we're going to come out of this a stronger church. We're going to come out of it a different church, but we're going to come out of this a healthier church. And one of those passages I think that we're going to cling to a lot in this season is going to be in Romans 11. So if you have a Bible or a device that you use, flip over to Romans 11, and we're going to see Christ much more clearly in a passage like this. We're going to see the gospel on display, the heart of God, especially in times like this. Romans 11, verse 30 through 33 through 36. This is the word of the Lord for us today. And Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I think this might be one of the greatest passages for us as a church as we move through the various shades of quarantine and just overall interruption that we're all experiencing right now. I mean, of course, there's a truckload of passages that we could hold close. We looked at a couple last week, and even last week I said, start developing a catalog, a list of passages that are especially helpful for you, that you could meditate on them, that you could hold them close and rehearse them, and use them. But this one, I think, is going to help us. I think this one's going to stabilize us. We're, we're proving to be very unstable right now. Even emotionally, as a people, we're, we're, seeing, 
We're seeing us move from panic to dread to heavy anxiety and sure I'm sh it'll be low nervousness later and then anger and then frustration and then back to anger and then back to panic and we're going to be moving all over the spectrum emotionally. We could use some stability emotionally. I think we just, to be honest, have a long way to go. We have a long way to go. The normal that we had in 2019, it might not come back like we had hoped. Our new normal down the road might be very different than what we are used to having. So memorize this passage. Place it in your heart. Meditate on it, especially the last verse. For from him and through him and to him are all things. All glory be to him. Amen. I think today it's going to show us how to navigate our times and enjoy Jesus when there just doesn't seem to be much else to enjoy. Man, I don't have to convince any of you today that suffering is real and that joy is hard to find, right? I mean, I've been on the phone nonstop for the last week, seriously, and I'm hearing stories from people that I love, hard stories where things are just disappearing. 401ks are vanishing. Graduation ceremonies are vanishing. Weddings are vanishing. I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're in high school, no prom, it's gone. No track and field season, no orchestra practice, no dance recitals. Even the gym is shutting down, right? Businesses, small, medium, and large, are just a few pay periods away from shutting down. That's a very real thing. Plans have changed. Plans have changed. Dreams have shattered. And the common refrain I hear from people I love is, Luke, this isn't the way I imagined things happening. This isn't how I saw it all go down. I had a different idea, a different strategy for what my life was going to look like, and this interrupted it and got in the way. And this does, and I agree, it feels like such a rude interruption, doesn't it? Friend, listen, if you feel like something has suddenly been taken away from you, like your life has been rudely interrupted, like you had this story of your life and now it's been heavily edited, I don't have to convince you that suffering is real. And let's face it, this pandemic is just one more thing in a long line of things. I mean, 9-11, it claimed 3,000 lives. That feels like a lifetime ago. It was just 10 years ago that swine flu came through. That cost almost 13,000 lives. We're, we're staring down the barrel of a recession right now. It will be the sixth in my lifetime, the 48th in our country's lifetime. Right? Just to put some perspective out there. COVID-19, it's on a long list of things that just prove repeatedly that our creation does not function like it's supposed to function. Not just creation, biology and chemistry, but even society doesn't function like it's supposed to function. Everything misbehaves. I mean, a hurricane will come through and knock out a city, but then people will set up scams and frauds and they will hoard. Everybody misbehaves. Nothing works like it is supposed to. So suffering, especially the kind that feels like such a rude interruption, that's just a part of living. Again, I don't have to convince you of that either. It's just a part of living. And yet we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to look at it. We don't know how to see God in all of this who he is, where he is. Can I just say, it's important to have a good theology of suffering before it marches into your life and starts stealing things from you. It's good to have a robust view of who God is. 
That's what I hope to be helpful with today. Because as A.W. Tozer said, how we view God is the most important thing about us. And I would like to add that how we view God is most shown and exposed in days like this. I mean, a lot of us, me included, we're staggering to get some footing. So how we view God in all of this, it could not be more important, could not be more relevant for us. That's why Paul is so helpful here, because he depicts a sovereign God. Sovereign. That's going to be a big word for us. It just means that he does as he sees fit. He does it for his glory primarily, and he does it for our good. Our good. But we also see in these passages that I can't counsel him. Because his thoughts, they're, they're not my thoughts. His plans don't look like my plans. And truth be told, he's not looking for my input. <laughs> he didn't ask me to come and sit on the board and consult in any of this. He is in control of all of history. He is in control. He is the architect of everything that we see. Not even pain escapes his grip. Not even death escapes his grip. He holds the universe in his hands. Time itself. He looks at the electrons and tells them how fast to spin. Not even a virus escapes his gaze. He is all-controlling, or he is not God at all. He is all-powerful, or he is no God at all. So he is a sovereign God. But I also want you to see that he is a suffering God as well. Suffering. This is going to be very important for you as you're developing a theology of suffering. This means that I can't outpain him. I can't outsad him or outhurt him. Not even my worst moments escape his empathetic sharing. He has tears that exceed mine. Listen, when you wake up tomorrow morning and you hurt, maybe a little bit less than today, maybe a little bit more, but when you hurt and you're nervous, you're scared and you're sad, you need to know that God is empathetic and he's sharing that with you in that moment. He's next to you. You're sharing it with him, and he's sharing it with you. Friend, regardless of what has been taken from you in this interruption, processing your struggle to the glory of God will land you in intimate worship. That's how you'll know you're processing this well. That's where I hope to lead you in this. Not just lead you, that's where I hope to join you in this. So as we go forward, I want you to think and maybe keep in the front of your hard drive, how are you really processing your suffering right now? How are you processing it? Is it drawing you close to an empathetic God, or is it doing something very different? Pushing you away, maybe. Who is God to you today? Because your answer to these questions, as Tozer says, is the most important thing about you. You see, one of the goals I have as your pastor is leading you to be just empathetic and invested in this world, but at the same time, letting go of this world as you have eyes to a much better city that God is lovingly building for you and me. As our ultimate host and the ultimate act of hospitality, he's building a space where we will be welcomed, loved, enjoyed, and we will never lose that spot, right? So we're keeping our eyes forward, but we're here right? Letting go of this place, yet actively serving this place all at the same time. So we are a church of people that are not of here, but we are for here. And this kind of gospel-shaped living takes work. I'm devoted to this work. It's the work of building a church of healthy missionaries. 
I truly believe that God is going to accomplish some incredible things in the Knox metro area through his church. And in fact, I think Legacy's most important days are in front. I think they're before us. If you're a part of Legacy Church, you need to know that we have built a certain way from the very beginning. We've built a certain way with a certain doctrine and a certain culture with a certain philosophy and a certain strategy just for times like this, for this, for days like this. These days, they may have interrupted our plans. They've interrupted my plans. I had to flush a lot of things I'm not going to get to do. Right? But they have not interrupted the plan that God has for His church, the mission of the church, the purpose of the church. That hasn't skipped a beat. In fact, I think it's gotten more elevated. I think the light is shining on it a lot more right now. But what this means is, is that we have to have a gospel-anchored idea of how to navigate suffering. The kind of suffering that steals unexpectedly. The, the kind of suffering that takes away a retirement or a wedding or a life. And this is important for us because your neighbors and your friends, they don't know how to deal with this suffering. They have no answers for today. No cosmic answers. No existential answers for today. That's why so many people are sinking or just imploding because they don't know how to interact with a suffering like this that comes out of nowhere and pops them in the mouth. It feels like such a foreign intrusion with zero purpose or answer. I don't blame them for thinking that either. I mean, it makes total sense. They grew to see suffering the same way that you and I did before Christ recast it and redefines it for us. I mean, consider that most of what we knew before Jesus about how to maneuver days like this has been scooped up from all these scattered places as we've grown up over time. It's a smattering of pop culture over here and a little bit of world religion over there. We get our best ideas about suffering and overcoming it through Disney movies or our Little League coach who did the best he possibly could or our favorite spin class song or some tattoo that our friend had in college. All these dumb places. And we take everything that has sounded good over the years and we put it in a blender and turn the blender on high and mix it all up and pour it out and that becomes our strategy and our best attempt to answer miscarriage or cancer or an STD or loneliness or addiction or COVID-19. This is maybe why when something significant hits you, you're not even sure who God is. You don't know where he is. You don't know what to think, what to pray for, what to tell others, what to tell your kids, how to go on. You're just stuck. So you look around like anybody else and you hope to hear somebody say something that is encouraging. But everything we look around, it starts to sound kind of inconsistent. Nothing aligns, right? I mean, this is a common phenomenon if you go on social media and you start gleaning from that. I mean, you'll see it. Someone's angry uncle somewhere is talking about how suffering is God's direct punishment for some sin that happens to be his pet sin. Some sort of a payback. Or maybe it's something that God is doing just to make you stronger. Or maybe it's something that God is doing just to teach you a lesson. We even have... People online that are saying, listen, if you write a check, and I mean a big one, and you send it to this address, you won't get the virus. In fact, you'll get wealthier and healthier, and you'll have a lot more friends. There's just no accuracy to any of this. No consistency to any of this. There's no agreement. 
So we look around and we see bits and pieces and fragments of passages taken wildly out of context and mixed up with other things, all wrapped around with a thick cultural voice. Listen, Instagram and Facebook, they are horrible places to build a theology on suffering. Great places to connect to people, especially today, right? It's a great place to connect to somebody, to, to video chat in some way, shape, or form. It is a horrible way to learn or build a theology on who God is in crucial moments like this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. All it's going to yield and hand you is man's predominant view of suffering, which is it's only evil all the time. It's an interruption that can only be negative. There's no answer or purpose behind it. It's totally irredeemable. That's the working definition that most of our world is using, and I'm concerned that the church is scooping it up and using it as well. Listen, you might have grown up with a view of God that just doesn't know what to do with suffering. Even if you love God, and you wear your Bible out and go to a healthy church, this might be you if when suffering comes, you just don't know what to do. You're almost paralyzed, and it still feels senseless, like some rude hiccup that comes and changes your life irreparably while a careless God watches and doesn't lift a finger. Friend, listen, if this is your current theology of God and suffering, then the gospel is going to be some very good news to you today, right? Because when days like this come and stay for a while, and it's not just coming in and leaving, when days like this come and they sit with us for a while, we will need something better and bigger than our own understanding and our own power and our own might better than our old high school buddy's dumb Facebook post to get us through this. And so we turn to the Word, and we get a good view of the Gospel. I want to show you something that Peter says. Stay where you're at, by the way, in Romans. I'll read this to you, and you can look it up later. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. Peter says, For to this you have been called. Now he's speaking of suffering. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. So what we're, we're seeing very quickly is that suffering is something that we are called into as Jesus walked before us as an example, and then we follow in his steps. We too, we, we share those sufferings as we walk in a Christ-shaped way on a Christ-shaped path. And then Peter does something two chapters later. He kind of expands on this a little bit and elaborates. And he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Hear that big word. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice. How? How? glad you asked about to answer that question. But what I want you to see in this direct moment is that there is a special communion, a special relationship that we have with Jesus in the midst of suffering. I mean, we share the same relationship whenever his glory reigns, when his glory is revealed and outshines anything that has ever happened to us. And you, you intuitively know this already. Right? Because I want you to consider the most valuable relationships you have today here on earth. Right? Was that not forged in the crucible of suffering and joy? Were those not things that you walk through together? Which is what has built the stability of that relationship. 
You see, when we suffer and we share it with Christ, and when God reigns and we share that with Christ, that is nothing if it is not us developing a deeper, more robust relationship with Him. So yeah, your suffering found you when you weren't looking for it. Me too. But your God is to be found in the suffering. And God is to be found on the other side of suffering. We also see in these passages that suffering is not just an interruption. It's also a calling. Right? Hear me now. You were called to suffer well. I know how popular that is. I know this is where everybody's clicking off right now. Later on, we'll look at the, the diagram of this feed. And this is where everybody drops off, right? And they're going to go and look for something far more encouraging, far more lighthearted. Believe me, there's plenty out there. There's enough supply to meet that demand. But it's not going to answer all of your real questions, is it? It's not. You'll feel warm for a few minutes. But the size of your God will shrink. And your view of God is the most important thing about you. You see, if God is not sovereign over pandemics and recessions, then He is no God at all. And if He is not powerful over all of creation, then He cannot help us. He can't even answer our prayers. He can't even hear our prayers. But that's not the God of the gospel, is it? Look at the last verse of our key passage today. For all things are from Him and through Him and to Him. What we see very quickly is that all things find their origin and their genesis in God. All things are performed and moved through the counsel of God. And all things culminate, elevate, and land in God. Hear me. Even COVID-19. Even that. And this invites a problem for us, doesn't it? I mean, this makes God look like He is a careless an irresponsible inflictor of pain. But the gospel paints a different picture of God. You see, when we're tempted to look at the destruction in our lives and the destruction in this world and say, God, this is on your hands. I mean, God, listen, if Luke is right and you're sovereign and you could have taken a left turn at this point in history and saved me all of that pain, if you could have changed this virus, stopped this virus, and you didn't do it, then the blood's on your hands. You did this. It's on you. I think we're all tempted to do that. But when we are tempted to do that, just take a gander over at Genesis 3 and look at the garden and see that suffering, in fact, came from our hands. Our hands. That's what Paul says in Romans 5. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, suffering interrupts our life because Adam brought a curse upon mankind. He is patient zero. He is. And I wouldn't have done anything different, and neither would you. And because of this, we work. But work doesn't work out for us. It is dysfunctional. We'll produce things, but it's with sweat and with toil and with pain. As Genesis says, thorns and thistles. We'll build families and friends, but we'll also damage each other and, and, and scratch and dent each other. It'll be hard to connect. Even the bodies that we have, which are gifts to us, will give way over time and decay and waste away. And as we've seen in recent weeks, even viruses would tear right through countries to a rate where we're having to cancel society in general. I mean, right now as we speak, the Army Corps of Engineers is converting college dormitories and hotels into hospitals. 
when you read the news and you see stuff like that, when you see creation and dysfunction, let it point you to a garden where things were broken. And then let it turn your fascination towards a God who visits and fixes and undoes all of it. Because it would be God who would fix what we broke. Not what he broke, but what we did. God would fix it. And he would do so for his glory, and he would do so for our good, and he would do this in the person of Jesus. This heroic, courageous God-man who would come to live, die, and live again by the power of the Spirit so that creation would be renewed. Even you would be renewed. And this too is a part of his architecture and his plan. And you can see his fingerprints all through the gospel story, even the cross, blood all over it, even the cross was considered by God, thought of, engineered, handcrafted, delivered, and executed by his own hand. These aren't my words. These, listen, Peter says in Acts 2 that Jesus was delivered to the cross by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It was his strategy, Peter says. It's his motion. Remember, God is sovereign and he is suffering. We have a sovereign God and we have a suffering God at the same time. Jesus defeats our pain and our tears, but he does so through his own pain and his own tears. We also see his fingerprints not just on, an, on a cross, but on an empty tomb, which was also considered strategically engineered, handcrafted and delivered by God himself. So we share suffering with a suffering God, and we share victory with a victorious God. And this is why Peter says, rejoice. <laughs> because we know the end of the story. We know that a day is coming when all suffering will be reversed. All of it will be. But now, before that day comes, in the meantime, I know suffering doesn't feel like a calling. It feels like a, a wicked and a thoughtless interruption, which is why we fumble the ball when suffering visits us, right? I think this is where I might be finding some of you today. You might be a Christian in times of peace. You might be a little bit more of an atheist when times like this come up. And listen, whenever we don't appropriate the gospel truth to moments like this, and we misbehave, we'll do it a thousand different ways for a thousand different reasons. But I just want to pinpoint one. Okay? Just I don't want to spend a lot of time. One way that I think we are all tempted to move away from God in moments like this is through distraction and through medication. And I'm not talking about medication out of a, out of a bottle, like a prescription drug or weed or wine. I mean, you can medicate on anything, right? You could use work. You could use media, house repairs. But just distracting ourselves. What is it that you need to just get through the day today? What is it that if you do it, it makes your day 10, 20, 30% better, right? Even for a moment. What is more satisfying to you than God in the midst of a quarantine, right? What I'm fascinated by is how media is being accessed at a more rapid pace now. Um, production companies are releasing movies quicker. Hallmark is doing this brilliant thing where they're releasing all of their Christmas movies. <laughs> And that's going to be our temptation, right? To be distracted, to be entertained, and to medicate on something like media. It's going to be a temptation, right? To spin through every film in the Marvel Universe in order for the third time, right? 
or to game for nine hours a day, just to remove us from our suffering for just a moment, because a moment's good enough. And I know what, you're, what you might be hearing me say. You might be tempted to think that I'm pulling something valuable away from you, like I'm touching life itself. Luke, you're going to take that away from me too? Luke, are you going to take media away? What do you expect me to do? Just journal all day? Just sing? What do you want me to do? Just fast all day? Nope. Nope. And that's why I thought like maybe I could speak to it for just a moment. Go ahead and find recreation as long as you can do it to the glory of God in a season like this. Listen, today, these days, it's a good time to remind yourself what a nap feels like or a push-up or a book. It's a great time to game. It's a great time to watch movies. It's a fantastic time to fix some stuff around the house. Organize your closet. Organize all of your closets. Those aren't secular things. Everything belongs to God. There is no separation between secular and sacred. We've talked about this a bunch. That's an old monastic way of thinking that tries to segregate stuff that belongs to God that we should chase and things that don't that we should push away. There is no separation, though. If you can do it to the glory of God, then do it. Write that book you've always wanted to write. Build that business plan you've been thinking about. Move all the furniture. Move it all back. Move it all back again. All of what we do can be done to the glory of God whenever we have a heart towards God in worship. But I want you to know, we've been given this rare window in time to meet ourselves. I know that sounds odd. You've been handed a moment to discover what silence sounds like, which is uncomfortable for a lot of us. The dead air in seasons like this, man, it's uncomfortable because it kind of introduces us to ourselves, sometimes for the first time. You've been given time and space to reflect and contemplate and think probably more than you ever have in your life. I guarantee more has been canceled in your schedule than has ever been canceled before. We likely won't get a window and an opportunity like this ever again. It's very likely. Now, a few days ago, Sarah Beth Erickson did a fantastic job of being very thoughtful and practical in helping us interact with our kiddos, how we work, rest, and play with them during something like a quarantine. But I would like to speak just for a second as we finish up on how to interact with God whenever you find yourself sad and bored with time. This is a great season to build a more robust worship of God. So I'm going to try to hand you a practical tool. And that's just because some of you feel like you are losing big right now. Like your life is disappearing. You have questions and you're trying to process God's kindness in all of this, but you can't see it. You're having a very difficult time. I'd like to introduce you to a spiritual discipline called Lament. We've talked about it. I've brought it up from the pulpit probably a half a dozen times in the last two years because it is such a powerful spiritual discipline. Paul Miller, in his book on prayer, which I suggest you get if you don't have, it considers this type of prayer to be kind of the nuclear option whenever we're looking at something that we just cannot fix. This is a kind of prayer that's very, very messy. Right? It's very unfiltered. It's very honest. It's when you're all out of options and you just want to vent. You feel like you need to let God know exactly how you feel, how you feel like you've been wronged, how you feel like he has dropped you and hurt you. Lamenting is a helpful discipline. Elliot Grudem, who leads the Leaders Collective, he's a good friend, he rightly says that it also helps you find your finite 
boundaries and borders as you approach and posture yourself between an infinite God, a sovereign God who has no limits. It's a kind of prayer that invites a, a, a deep guttural honesty. Listen, I've put a video up on our website um, next to a blog where we teach on this. Okay, So without getting into the dirt here, feel free to go to our website and the blog on our website, LegacyKnoxville.com. And not only is there a little rundown on how to lament, there's also one for your kiddos. How to lead your children through the lamenting process. It's never too early to help them perceive and interact with God in a season like this. I've also put a quick little video up there in the blog so that you can watch that along with it. And we'll have links to notes on that, okay? So that you can maybe spend some time this week lamenting. I'm telling you, this has become one of the most valuable tools in my belt the last few years. Unfiltered honesty followed by trusting worship. It will change the way you see God, which is the most important thing about you. It will change the way you handle suffering. Listen, I don't know all the answers behind why God allows a pandemic and a market collapse, but at least I know what the reason is not. It cannot be because God does not love us or that God does not care. It can't be because he doesn't know what pain feels like or that he's spiteful or mean. For we know by the gospel that he is committed to us. He is so committed that he entered suffering himself to an ultimate degree. Now, friends, listen, I know that this is only a part of the answer. It's only half of the answer, but I feel like it's the most valuable part for us today. And I think it's the half that leads us closer to him in worship. Christianity has never claimed to offer a total summary explanation behind every single instance of suffering. But it does claim to hold the final answer to suffering. It's locked up in the gospel. It will come when Jesus comes back and it will be satisfying to all of us. Listen, I love you all. If you need anything, contact us on our website through our email, info at LegacyKnoxville.com. Take some time this week to have fun to the glory of God, to commune with God, to lament with God. Take some time this week to be a missionary in your neighborhood. Listen, if you see needs, be sure to let us know online. If your neighbors have needs, be sure to let us know. I love you a bunch. Have a great week. We will be in touch. Let us know if you need anything.